Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studios, it's time for Workplace MVP. Workplace MVP is brought to you by R3 Continuum, a global leader in workplace behavioral health, crisis, and security solutions. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gassman. Hi, everyone. Your host, Jamie Gassman here, and welcome to this episode of Workplace MVP. So picture this. You have an open position. You've crafted what you believe to be the best written job description you could possibly write, and you're now navigating the various candidates who have applied. As you comb through the numerous resumes, looking at the talent pool options who have expressed interest in your position, you identify some standout candidates that on paper seem to have most of the skills and experience you are seeking. The interview is scheduled, and it's time to meet the candidate in person. But how do you ensure you you are asking the right questions to truly gauge if they are a cultural fit within not just your organization, but the team they will be working with? Also, they may not have 100% of the skills and experience you are seeking. How much of the job description are you willing to accept as enough or which of the skills and experience are non-negotiables? They have to have them. These are questions that leaders likely face every time they venture into the hiring process. How can they create an approach to hiring or promoting within that not only ensures they make better hiring decisions, but that they're setting the employee and the organization up for a better chance at success? Well, with us today to share her approaches that have delivered proven results to her organization is award-winning workplace MVP, Erica Lance, Chief Human Resources Officer for No Before. Welcome to the show, Erica. Wow, thank you for having me. That was an amazing intro. I appreciate it. Well, and congratulations to you on your recent promotion to Chief Human Resources Officer. Uh, what an incredible honor. And, you know, I'd really like to have you walk me through your journey, your career journey, and tell us a little bit about how you got to this role. Well, I have a very interesting career journey. I, I will say it actually goes back to when I was very young, not going to mention my age because of my fabulousness, but when I was younger, I um, had a job working in administration at a stock brokerage firm. And um, I had helped come through a couple resumes with them with no training. I, I do tell people this story that I, I actually got my GED. I didn't finish high school. I had to start working for my family when I was about 14 years old and didn't go to college for this. So I had an administrative job and did that. So when I was looking for my next job, I put on there that I did some recruitment, right? And that next job saw that and they're like, oh, you know how to do hiring? You know how to do HR? And of course, I was like, yeah, absolutely did did all of those things, which I had not. So it was a little bit of trial by fire to do that. But I'm a firm believer that you can take on any challenge you want if you're willing to do the learning and the research necessary to do that. So I've had a very interesting career that has then taken me from that, that moment of maybe overstating my resume a little bit to um, where I am today, which has been very, very fortunate. And I consider kind of an exception to the rule generally when you have that kind of background. But I was fortunate that they believed me and that I was able to rapidly compensate for that lack of knowledge to be able to move forward. Oh, it's very impressive. And then, you know, in addition to the promotion, you recently were awarded the 2021 OnCon HR Professional of the Year Award. So tell me a little bit about receiving that honor. 
that was that was super exciting. The uh, why it was most exciting to me is it's voted on. People have to vote for you. Uh, obviously, any award is voted on, but I mean, it's not like a committee vote. Like people sign in and vote for you. So I went on. You know, um, when I got nominated, I was super excited. So I, you know, I let my um, nosters, that's what we call our no before employees know that I was nominated if they felt like they wanted to say, um, put in a vote. And then I posted it on LinkedIn and also on Facebook. And when it came time, they asked for um, us to do, you know, have some speeches ready. And I'm like, why are they asking me to have a speech ready? So I, I had a speech ready. Um, and then I went and they're like, they're going through the categories and I'm like, my name's not, and I kept thinking I missed my name because they were listing a lot of people like thinking that, and no, no, I, I, I received it. And to me, it was just such an honor because it was voted on by people for me. And so they think that I'm good enough to receive that award, which is really the difference you want to make as an HR person is you want to have that impact on employees, whether it's current employees or former employees. And a lot of the messages I got on LinkedIn and stuff when I had posted it was like, I voted for you're fantastic. Thank you for everything. And there are people I don't work with anymore. Like they were at previous jobs and they were saying that. And as an HR professional, that's the impact you want to have is that you've made enough of a difference in people's lives that something like this comes up and they're like, absolutely, I'm putting your name in. So that was wonderful to me. Oh, very amazing and validating that taking on that role so many years ago has really paid off and kind of created this incredible journey and, and open doors and opportunities for you. That's fantastic. Absolutely. So now since you've been at No Before, you've really grown your HR team quite a bit. And, you know, how have you supported your employees as you've gone through that growth? Because obviously growing departments, you know, and that change that can take place can kind of, you know, sometimes create, you know, challenging environments or challenging, you know, times. So talk me through a little bit about how you navigated that. Absolutely. Um, One of the things that I'm a firm believer in is you have to build people to what they want to do when they decide what they want to be when they grow up again. I've, you know, everybody talks about decide what you want to be when you grow up. I think we get to decide that a hundred times in our lives. We get to keep changing what we want to be when we grow up again. And so when I bring on people uh, to the team, I do, in, and I know we're, we're going to talk a little bit about this culture ads, is I find people that have backgrounds that can add to what the team already has, but really, really make sure my team is getting trained and certified, any mentoring or coaching that they need so that I can grow people to grow up within the team. Because the institutional knowledge your team members get is so vital that they can just help with that. And um, I, you know, I've been growing in 11 different countries. So we're a global um, group, but that along with radical honesty and radical transparency and making it super safe for employees to communicate. And when there are problems, if you make it safe for employees to communicate, they tell the problems instead of hoping nobody finds the problem which unfortunately some companies foster that, that you can't put your arm up and say, hey, um, I created this problem. And sometimes I don't know how to solve it because if they do that, they could get fired or something like that versus realizing everybody's going to make mistakes. So 
I really foster that environment. And a lot of the people that have worked for me, not only at No Before, but in other jobs have been promoted up. And some have moved into other areas of the company to be successful there because they've decided that like, I had one gentleman who moved from our um, employee relations and he's now in our HRIS um, area because he loved the technology, loved that, had all the HR experience. That worked out for me because now the person who's working on our HRIS and IT knows HR instead of just an IT person who doesn't know HR. So that's what I do is I I grow people because I want them to continue to expand and move up. But yeah, we started with around eight, I think. And now I have over 60 in the last three and a half years. That's incredible growth. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's a lot of hiring. Um, Quick question. And I'm going to, I'm going to touch on kind of your hiring process and how you kind of identify, you know, what, what do you, you know, the approaches that you use, but quick question on creating that culture of, of, you know, allowing people to own when they've made a mistake or create a problem, you know, how do you approach that? How do you create that environment with your individuals? Do you do that by being transparent when you yourself make an an error or do you, is it through conversations you have with them to, to create that comfort level? You know, how do you go about that? Well, first of all, anything like that has to start start at the very top of the organization. I'm very, very fortunate that Stu Showerman, who's the CEO of No Before and who I report to, does the same thing. If he makes a mistake, we have a morning meeting every morning with all employees and he'll own up right on the morning meeting if something happened and that it wasn't correct. And he'll say, we, we use the term extreme ownership. We have a reading list of books for our company. And there's one called Extreme Ownership that was written by two Navy SEALs. Amazing. And it talks about being just taking ownership. If you're over an area, you never throw your employees under the bus, even if a mistake is made. It's your area. You're responsible for it. So any mistake made beneath you, you you have to own that mistake and resolve it correctly. So we say extreme ownership there. And the book Powerful by Patty McCord talks about um, radical honesty and radical transparency in your workplace. And so we tell people that we start with that when they're onboarding. We have a whole onboarding process that has a welcome to know before. You also get, um, it used to be in person, obviously COVID changed things, but we have a video now of all of us that they met in person, giving our little tidbits of advice on things. And we, I find employees are waiting for another shoe to drop when they start at No Before because you say, we have this, it's safe, you can talk. And their immediate thing is, I'm not saying a word. Like, I'm not going to say anything because you're so used to people going, oh, yeah, we have an open door. But then there's another open door behind the person and you go right out the open door and you don't have a job anymore. So we show them by the actions that we take that it's safe. We let it come up. We let it come up naturally. Even if something happens and you go, hey, did this happen? And they're, you may be a little skittish and like, yeah, but, and they try to explain it. I always go, stop, whoa, whoa, stop defending. Just explain what happened. Okay, cool. Do you have a solution for it or do you want some advice? And then when the, the first time it happens and they aren't fired and they aren't on a disciplinary warning for something silly, you know, because we're all going to make mistakes. I make mistakes. I, you know, started with, hi, no, I have a ton of HR experience. I know what mistakes are, but you have to be willing to go, okay, that happened. Let's see if we can prevent it from happening. 
again. If it's the same mistake over and over, that's a different situation. But, you know, it's Jurassic Park. We got to make all new mistakes. Like, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. It's, you know, you learn from is from them is kind of some of the the advice I give to my employees who are afraid to make that mistake. (laughs) So looking at your hiring practices, you have some best practice approaches that you use in navigating that process that help that, that helps you, especially within this, this level of expansion that you've had. Can you share those with our listeners? No, they're top secret. Nobody can know. (laughs) Just kidding. Of course. No, I believe in sharing knowledge. It's a huge thing for me because the more we share successful things in HR, the more we can help each other expand an organization. So how it works at no before is we have obviously our expansion team, which are recruiters. So I'll say the term recruiter, even though that's we, we call it something different just so that everybody understands. And we also have the hiring managers. The biggest thing is we created training for our hiring managers that explain what their duties, what their role is in this. And um, one of the key components for both the recruiters and the hiring manager is that I, I stated, and this is my firm belief, both of those people are 100% responsible for the human that they hire. So if they hire them and something goes wrong or is off, and we do a lot of look backs to go, was there something we missed in the hiring process? Was there something we missed in the onboarding? Was there something we missed in training? Like, how do we avoid not having that situation happen right now? Obviously, if somebody had a family emergency and their mom was terribly sick and they had to leave, there's there's no look back. Like, you can't know that the mom was going to get sick. We're not quite to that stage of Jedi mind powers yet. But um, we could say that if something goes wrong and the employee doesn't work out, both of these guys are 100% responsible and they should be defending their choice to hire this. So if either one of them don't feel like this person's a good fit, they're allowed to say no during the process. Either side, both the hiring manager and the recruiter are both allowed to do that. We also um, firmly believe in using, I call it spidey senses because Spider-Man talks about it, you know, when his hair stands up on him. But if you get a gut feeling during the interview process, either in a positive way or a negative way, you can utilize that because sometimes that's all you get. You can't exactly pinpoint what the problem is, but you know there's something wrong. The agreement is we stop the process and you just have to go, I don't feel like they're the right candidate and it's okay. We don't have to justify the reason they don't feel like it's the right candidate. Um, But we go through a series of things like for a lot of the positions, um, first of all, we do not let our ATS filter for us. I think ATSs, which is applicant tracking systems, filtering your prospects based on 25 keywords or phrases you lose the humans in that. You completely you lose the humans because a lot of people don't know you have to write your resume to that. Or they go in and they write their resume to that, but they still might not be a qualified candidate. They just figured out the, the glitch in the ATS matrix, so to speak. So we have them reviewed. We have sample questions. That's usually the first step about their experience in that particular kind of role to ask back. They have a phone interview with the recruiter to see how um, how they answer a series of questions and how the recruiter feels about them. And then the recruiter will move them on to the hiring manager. And the next would be um, potentially a series of tests, depending on the role. And um, like our developers do a whiteboard test on some development skills just to see, because obviously resumes can say anything. 
I've made that evident by my resume previously. They can say anything. It's just what is the actual experience that that person has? And maybe they're not even saying enough about their experience on the resume because we're we're not the greatest at teaching people how to write resumes in the world. I know there's classes and people who write them for you, but this is this is an art form that isn't always done correctly. But they get a chance to do that, do a face-to-face, depending on the um, level of the, the employee, they might do a few more if they're an executive and stuff. But we have key questions around being a manager. We have some trick questions around being a manager and stuff, but it allows the person to go through the process. And we also talk a lot about what the company culture is like. Um, I, I, one of the things that know before, for instance, is Halloween is a really big deal. Like we, everybody almost dresses up for Halloween. We dress up areas like this is a huge deal. So we ask every applicant what their favorite Halloween costume is, or, you know, what do they think of Halloween and stuff like that. And if somebody's like, oh my gosh, that's the worst holiday in the world. I think it's so dumb, blah, blah, blah. Regardless of anything else, they are probably not going to be a fit for no before for them as well, because we do so many things that are like that, that are inspired by things and are, are fun and party like. And like we, we used to do quarterly mingles before COVID and we had a, you know, a bowl and a rock climb and all like, do you want to participate in these things? If you seem to want to be very, um, conservative or something, maybe you won't be a great fit for that or that team if that team is really playful. And I think it's both the company and what is the culture of that team like? What do they like to do? We all have different managers. Some are like the very, you know, care bear kind of managers and some are the very like, let's do a team sport kind of managers and Will they fit in with that as well? So I think you have to find people that are culture ads and culture fits, but you have to be very good at telling them this is what it's actually like. Every one of our interviews too is we'll explain what the day-to-day like is like for the person instead of like very generalities. And um, my the worst question I think you can say to an, an employee is, you know, we move really fast here. This is a fast paced environment without defining what that means. Because if they go, oh yeah, no, I'm really good in fast paced environments and say you want them to do data entry and you go, well, you have to enter, you know, 200 files a day and to them fast paced is 50 files a day. You're not going to have a fit for an employee, but you're not going to know that because you didn't ask them what that means. Like, what is it actually like? Yeah. So you're kind of touching on it a little bit, that cultural fit. Can you describe, like define for the, the audience what you mean by that? Like when you're in that hiring process, what is culture fit? For us, um, culture fit is uh, somebody who is looking for more than just a job. They're looking for a place that they can grow and expand in, that they can be their own self in, and that they are want to be a part of a team. And that's a key part. Does the person really want to be part of a team? Because all of our activities center around a team. Another thing is we have metrics for every single position within the company. We do do metrics um, on it. So we keep numbers. Are they fine with that? Are they fine with having the numbers thing? Are they fine with a very open work environment? Um, 
and meaning that we have an open floor plan, obviously COVID, a lot of people have worked from home, but we have an open floor plan. Are they comfortable with that? Are they comfortable with um, uh, being held to a certain standard? Or how do they feel about like the fun part of the atmosphere? How do they feel about some of the activities? We do a ton of team building activities, whether it's on a, a small team itself or on the larger like sector area division of the it. Um, and then just kind of finding out where they feel they fit from a job standpoint or a career standpoint within a company. Are they just there to punch a clock? They're not going to be a very good noster. And some people can want to do that. And it's totally fine, but they're not going to do well because the team's going to want to rally the teamness and they're going to want to stand out, which can create an individuation for them and, even if they don't want the team thing, then the rest of the team goes, why does this person not want to be on the team? And it like can create a weirdness. And you avoid that by defining what that team is like and what are the fun things that you do and what is expected. And you're expected to learn a lot. We're constantly learning. We're constantly reading books. Like, do you, how do you feel about that sort of thing? Because if you're going to be upset every time a new training course comes out, well, you're not going to be a good cultural fit. This is going to be very stressful for you when these things come out and you have to, you know, do these courses. There's another book to read. Ah! Well, it, you know, it sounds silly, but if we're, you know, I mentioned two books already, we have a reading list of about 20 books that are recommended. Not everybody has to read them, but some team do. Like there's a book called Never Split the Difference that was written by an FBI negotiator. And that's something our sales team has to read. Well, if you're like, no, I hate reading. I'm not going to read. You, you, may, you may have a problem when we have these books. So it's little things like that that can create great divides between areas. And that, you know, sales, we have goals every month. And you have to, you know, want to play that game of getting that goal. We have lots of fun things around that. But if you're not into that, you're going to not be a cultural fit or a cultural ad. I love that you guys have very defined kind of cultural nuances that are important to the overall, you know, success of the organization. So if there is, you know, if, if for other organizations, you know, is there a way that they can train or empower their leaders to understand their own culture to be able to leverage cultural fit when they're doing their interview process. If you were going to give recommendation for that, what would you, what would you give? I, I would say define, get it defined from the top of the organization, what the culture needs to be. Then secondarily train every single person in an executive or management capacity on what that is and how you do that. Meaning if you have a process, like we have a process where our managers are responsible for their humans. HR does not do disciplinary actions. We assist and guide on how like a warning needs to be written or said, just because there's so many nuances, as we all know in HR about what is right versus what is correct, fun area to be in. But we have the managers or the discipline. They're fully responsible. They get all the good and the bad with the people, but they have to understand how the overall management philosophy, aka culture, needs to run. How do we all agree and define those cultural points and then make sure everyone is adhering to them? Like we have a policy called say it to your face. If you have a problem with somebody, you don't get to go complain to somebody else. You have to say it to them. 
Now, if you don't feel comfortable, you can ask for assistance to do that. But we really hold our employees responsible. We're adults. If you have a problem with somebody, and it's very different, obviously, if like you're being sexually harassed or something like that, please report that correctly. But if somebody just said something to you the wrong way or sent an email that seemed snarky, go over to them and go, hey, Bob, listen, I got your email and I don't know if you were upset or what, but can we talk about whatever this is? If you don't do that, it creates separation. So that's like a philosophy we have. So every manager, if somebody comes and goes, I'm really mad, Sally said blah to me, they'll go, okay, did you say it to Sally's face? That will come out of every single manager's mouth because that's how we operate, right? And if they don't have um, the strength to do it themselves, we go, if you want some help, we can help you. But if you just choose not to do it, then that's on you. I think a lot of organizations have forgotten somehow that all of the people that work for them, besides when they're certain, are adults. They're adults and you should treat them like adults, but they should be responsible for themselves. And HR shouldn't be this really scary thing that has to come thundering in to solve all these problems that can be solved with open communication. And so we started at the top and then we filtered it all the way down through our training and everything. So that's all the case. And it's defined for the employees what's expected. And if you treat them all the same way, you get sort of a, a lot. I'm going to use the analogy of a beehive. If something tries to go into a beehive that will mess up the beehive, the rest of the bees will solve that problem. So it's not HR or manager that has to solve the problem because if somebody goes to somebody else and goes, Sally said no, 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 no to me today, they'll go, well, did you tell it to her? Because they know that that's the say it to your face mentality that the whole company has. So you get less problems. We have less than a 1% situation rate with employees at our company, which to me is unheard of to have that. A lot of companies have up to a 20% issue rate, whether it's investigations or disciplinary actions and stuff like that. And I think it's because they're not putting the responsibility from the top of the organization down that everybody's operating with a set of defined guidelines, not rules, people don't like rules, and guidelines as to how the company is to operate. So they can get in trouble even unknowingly because stuff can fester. Absolutely. Especially, you know, when you've got those you know, conflicts that aren't resolved directly with the parties that are involved in those conflicts. So in looking at, you know, gauging somebody as a culture fit, you know, why is that so important? I mean, you've kind of touched on this a little bit, but diving into it a little bit deeper, you know, what can happen to an organization when they aren't hiring somebody who is a fit to that company, you know, productivity wise or financially, what, what might be some of the things that are going to, that, that they may be experiencing now as, as challenges um, that they need to think about? Well, I think the more a position's open, the more desperate a hiring manager or a manager of that area gets. I'm, I, I make the joke sometimes it gets to the point where they're like, can you breathe on a mirror? Okay, you're qualified. Let's go. Let's do it. We just don't want zombies. Um, the problem with that is that if you bring somebody in to the company that is not a fit for the company, not a fit for that team, they're not going to work out. So depending on how long it takes us all to come to this realization or the great, I told you so, they're not going to work out. You're losing money 
you're not getting a correct fit for that position. So you're losing money with every second that person's on the team. Then when they leave with all the institutional knowledge or effort you put into them, you've literally just lost potentially tens of thousands to millions, depending on the position. Like you take somebody who's an enterprise level salesperson for your organization, bringing in millions of dollars, and you've had that open and they've establish relationships with consumers that somebody has to start again from scratch to do, that's potentially millions of dollars out the door because you did not make sure that person was a fit for the team because a person who's not a fit for the team will eventually not want to be there. They can also cause problems if there are personality conflicts because certain personalities, and not everybody has to be the same, this isn't a lemming thing, but certain personalities will not work well with other personalities. It is just, hello, human nature, right? Um, And we all have that in even our family lives. As much as we all love family, there are certain family members who are like, do not sit next to Joe and talk about politics, right? Because it will end badly. So um, if you don't find those personalities that it will go well and have the right in um, view of how work should be, then eventually they won't be there anymore. They won't be happy. You have to hope they do not create a huge problem on their way out in the form of investigations or whatever. Because if somebody feels slighted, and we were talking a little bit about this earlier when we were talking about the conflicts with people is the moment somebody has a conflict with somebody or thinks somebody's bad, they put on a different colored glasses and they're not rose colored in the nice, pretty way. They are different. Every communication then received by that person is in that vein. So even if it's not intended to be snarky or mean or whatever they think, they're going to be defensive and think it's there and a problem can build and build and build. And if it builds in a certain way and the manager doesn't realize what's happening and all of this stuff, then you could potentially have a lawsuit on your hands because nobody knew that this cultural fit problem was occurring. And that problem, you know, the person ends up saying they felt harassed or singled out or whatever. And by default, they were because they weren't part of the team to begin with. So it is so important that you have that piece, but that that piece is so defined for your organization. Like you have to sort of put the rules. We have a, a, a policy we have in our handbook, which is the welcome to know before it was written by Stu on his whole, like how know before came into being. This is what it is. And then I wrote one called the common sense guide to know before, like here are the little things that you need to know to be a no stir at no before and to get you out of trouble. Those are the first steps to, you know, to how to agree with things. Great, great information. Um, So in talking about like, you know, they get desperate for hiring, you know, as you're probably aware that, you know, some industries right now are really having, you know, difficulty in hiring, um, you know, employees for various types of roles, you know, trying to get that right level of experience, maybe that right level of education, you know, based around how they've crafted that job description for who they feel is the ideal candidate. Are there things that they maybe should be looking at or consider consider maybe changing in that job description that might open up possibilities for a different, you know, channel of candidates or a different level of candidates that, Maybe they hadn't really originally thought would be the right fit, but maybe opens up opportunity for them to, you know, expand that candidate pool. 
Yes. I feel a lot of times people write job descriptions like they write perfect dating apps, you know, where you're looking for this perfect person and they need to be X tall and this built and this kind of career and, you know, have a chiseled jaw and dark hair and blue eyes. And like you're writing a job description as if you're looking for a unicorn. And fantastic for all the humans out there that write a job description or a dating profile and get that unicorn to show up. But the problem is, You have candidates out there that are looking at this job description and go, I don't qualify. Well, do you actually need all those things? Because if you don't need the level of education, there are a lot of people that have experience that don't have the education. And those people, no offense to everybody who went to school, but sometimes those people are better than the people that have the education because they've been there, they've done it, and they have all the t-shirts from doing it, right? So if you if you limit your pool to where you're looking for only, you know, pegasuses and unicorns or whatever, right? Dragons and unicorns. I can make a lot of fantasy analogies. But if you're only looking for that, then you're going to have a hard time finding the person. Also, you need to go look hiring managers. You need to go on LinkedIn. You need to go out there and go to the different, like there's a lot of, for instance, developer meetups or salespeople meetups. There's all these meetups in the communities, HR meetups. Like if you're an HR professional, trust me, you can find 8 million meetups to go to, to be an HR professional. But you need to go as the hiring manager and find some people and look for your own humans you know what you're looking for. So go look for them as well. But you got to lower your expectations, not for what you genuinely need, but go, what would lead to a good candidate? And I'll give an example. I have hired several people into HR that have done retail management experience. They're not HR professionals at all. But guess what? When you do retail like all of us who have been lucky enough to also do fast food and stuff, you get a level of patience and understanding with the weirdest things that can happen. And in your retail, especially if you're a retail store manager, which they escalate a lot of people interior to be retail store managers, right? You have had experience dealing with pretty much anything an employee can do and come up with, you know what I mean? To be a part of it. So I'm okay. Do you want to be in HR? Do you want to train? Because you've got the experience of being calm, cool, collective and dealing with some of the stuff that comes up from an employee relations standpoint. It's been wildly successful for me to have that because I was willing to go, let me look beyond what I'm, I, I'm looking for, for that person who does good customer relations, who does customer service. What are other professions that do that where the person maybe didn't have the chance, but you go, do you have this much experience dealing with customers? Are they a good fit? And here's the thing too, is you help somebody advance and change their career path. They are going to be some of the most loyal employees you ever have because of what the company has done for them to help them out. And it's the right view. So if you can take something different do that. And if you go look, part of your responsibilities and executive or managers to go find your own people, go find them, meet them, get them to apply, get them in the door because you'll meet them and see if they're qualified. You get to do a pre-screening with them. Right. Kind of looking for those transferable skills, maybe not necessarily, you know, the experience background, but, you know, experience around areas that could be applicable in that role. Very interesting. 
So real quick, we're going to just get a word from our sponsor. Uh, Workplace MVP is sponsored by R3 Continuum. R3 Continuum is a global leader in providing expert, reliable, responsive, and tailored behavioral health crisis and security solutions to promote workplace well-being and performance in the face of an ever-changing and often unpredictable world. Learn more about how R3 Continuum can tailor a solution for your organization's unique challenges by visiting r3c.com today. So you had mentioned in a previous conversation that employers need to also look within the organization, that there may be employees with strong institutional knowledge who might be afraid to speak up about movements and, and a career advancement. So what kind of tips or advice would you give to leaders to help them in identifying employees that you know are probably sitting there waiting to be asked to move up or waiting to be asked about their career um, and maybe aren't? you know, quite as confident to bring that up in a conversation? What, what, what advice would you give? I think it's very important for managers to have one-on-ones around what the career path for the employees that are working for them is and what they want to do, right? And make it very safe that maybe they want to do something in another part of the organization, right? Um, another thing is we have a, a dedicated career team of people, single employee gets to interact with them. They get to meet the career person on onboarding. We have the career person has an entire part of our intranet that they talk about things. They have different seminars. They have also gotten with every leader and mapped out the career tracks for the person and where they end up needing to go and stuff like that. Um, so like what steps do they need to take? What knowledge base do they need to have in order to move up into roles? And we have a tuition reimbursement and a certification policy where we help pay for the certifications that the employees need. And we have training courses so they can train. And we believe employees should have about five hours a week to train, right? Whether it's on their own position or other things. And they can train so they can be ready to move into maybe the junior role in that area they want to move into. Or we have manager training. So maybe they weren't a manager before, but they want to move up into leadership here's the manager training and this is how you do it. I think that way more, um, we promote from within between 20 and 30% every year of people. We do that because those are nosters, that's what we call them, that want to be a part of something bigger and help the organization. And because of all the knowledge they have, they just bring that to the next area. Like my story in the beginning about the person who moved from my employee relations over to IT, they took all that HR and no before knowledge. So when it comes up to why does HR need this program this way, we don't have to go through a back and forth. He is just going to go, they need a program this way because at A, B, and C, and this is what they do with it. That's invaluable. But guess what? I couldn't hire that because nobody's done the HR in my HR area to know the answer to that question, right? And that happens over and over again. Plus that loyalty thing. If you bring somebody up within your ranks of your organization, they know there's a loyalty. Gone are the days where people are staying at companies to get the gold watch and the retirement fund and stuff like that. I say that all the time to younger people and they have no idea what I'm talking about when I say the gold watch thing, but it's very funny to me. Um, so <laughs> it was in the movie Speed. Um, it's just, that's gone. We don't have that anymore where people want to stay to retire at a company. They, if they want to continue to grow, they're going to leave and then potentially leave and then apply back at your company. And they're going to come back at a much higher rate and whatever, where you could have had them this whole time 
growing them up into that thing. It always makes me sad when I see somebody leave a company for another job that you have within the company. You're just not willing to give them a shot and they're super successful. It's silly to me to lose that talent. So I, I think you have to remember to put those things in because every person who walks out the door, if you only even just use lose their annual salary, oh, that's tens of thousands of dollars that walk out the door just pay somebody to help get them to a higher spot within your organization. Yeah. I, I imagine this approach that you're, you're describing about helping them with that career growth, it, you know, impacts retention in a very positive way within yeah. the organization. I, you know, just, well, and even just knowing that the support that you're providing, even if they just want to have education, but maybe are comfortable where they're at, I got to imagine that also can create some, some retention benefits too. Oh, absolutely. And you, yeah, you have to want to have those people be there like, and it shows the employees and then they refer their friends that are very qualified. Like they, they talk about it. How you get a great place to work is your employees, like all the awards and everything like that. We we've gotten a ton of awards and I really love that we've gotten a ton of awards, but it's because our employees were surveyed and they love working for us. We don't get those awards because, uh, you know, just in case anybody believes that you can't nominate yourself and somebody just look and go, Oh no, before school, we're going to give them an award. Like it's based a hundred percent on what your employees are saying and thinking about you. That's how you create that part of the culture and that they want to work there. And then you're a best place to work. And then you get more employees that want to work there. You're talking about earlier recruitment things. Well, how about creating an environment that is so amazing that people are beating down the door to be a part of your company? That helps solve some of the recruitment things. Not all of them. Trust me, there are still, you know, unicorns you got to find out there, but it makes a huge difference. Definitely. And so you mentioned um, the advantages in creating a foundation that feeds future success in the organization. I think you're probably touching on it a little bit, but, you know, can you share, um, you know, about how that works within the organization, you know, and I think, you know, maybe you've already touched on that a little bit, but if there's anything additional that you can provide um, around that foundation that you've created. I, I think it's, again, creating the foundation from the top, the very top of the organization has to have the same belief and understanding that the rest does, and then define it and promote it and promote it constantly and constantly remind employees about the different parts. You can do word walls, you can do it in meetings and you know, however you do that, um, letters from the CEO. I know at some points having an all company meeting is uh, out of the question. You know, you have a hundred thousand employees, you probably will have a hard time doing that, but you have it filter through the managers. You make it so it's scalable, but you keep it going and you do not change it. You enhance it. Don't change the rules on the employees unless you're giving them a benefit. Because if you make it harder to do something, you're going to lose some of that feeling that the company is on their side during the process. And remember, it's a team activity. I don't care if you're at the very top of an organization, you're built on every single person that works for you and every single thing they're doing. Um, I worked at a company previously that had a huge mail room, right? And it was a document processing company for mortgage mortgages. 
and um, people would uh, say derogatory things about the mailroom. And I was like, hey, so the documents don't go in or out of this organization without the mailroom doing their job correctly and on time. We don't meet any deadlines without this part of the organization. So before you berate or think less of this part of the organization, it doesn't matter how many files you produce. If they don't ship them, it means absolutely nothing. And it was very eye-opening when that actually got circulated, what each of the areas do that contribute to the overall product. And that's true even in a company that, say, makes computers. If the place isn't shipping them out correctly and the mailroom doesn't want to do their job or they don't care, well, it doesn't work out. I mean, look in the airline field. When all the mechanics go on strike, for instance, guess what? There is not a single plane flying because the pilots aren't going to fly a plane that the mechanics haven't done. Or if the baggage handlers say they're not participating anymore, they're going on strike. That a baggage handler will stop the entire airline thing from going, stops all flights from happening. And you can go, well, they just moved the luggage around. Well, guess what? Your plane is not taking off now because they just moved the luggage around. So it's it starts from the top, but has to filter to the bottom. And everybody has to understand that. Yeah, I love that. Everybody plays a vital role. It might be a different role, but they they are definitely key to the overall success of that organization. Exactly. So looking at another, you, you mentioned in a previous conversation, I just wanted to share, you know, it was just such a creative approach that you, for the diversity and inclusion, um, you have a program that you utilize where you are providing or creating opportunities for individuals where maybe on paper, they may not have the experience or the skills that are needed for the job or, um, you know, but through this program, you provide them with education and training that builds on those skills and experience. I think you mentioned something with um, kind of like a smart start or like a restart. Um, can you talk a little bit about that structure? Because I just thought it was so innovative and a great way to identify candidates that maybe would typically get overlooked or maybe not considered for a role. Absolutely. So I worked a lot with local high schools helping with some of their um, career committees and stuff like that. And I found that a lot of times people coming out of high school, especially in underrepresented communities, they don't always have an option. It's not always an option to go to college, right? It's, it's, It's not free. There's not an option. And some don't have the availability to do it. And they have to just start working. And the moment you know, it's the the snake eating its own tail. You want somebody to come into the area, to, but they can't come into the area unless they have experience, but they can't get experience until they're let into the area. And so if you don't go, okay, wait, we have to break this cycle. This doesn't work. So we started with, we have three programs that we're doing, but the first one was called Jumpstart. And we're taking kids that have either graduated from high school or gotten their GED that want to Um, move into a technical type role, but have no experience. And we got, we didn't um, expect them to have any work experience at all. Instead, we got references from teachers or volunteer groups they work with, or potentially religious leaders that they had, you know, that they maybe did some work with. That's where we got our references. And we're starting from the beginning. We started with, it was supposed to be a program of six. We had seven because our recruiter got very excited and hired more than six, but we were like, okay, let's do this. So they're all doing really, really well. So that's our first program. 
where we're bringing them in. They're going coming in at a slightly lower salary than our tier one tech support because we're seeing if they can move up to that. But the end of the program, which is in within six months, is they get to apply for one of our tech support positions and they will get paid what our tier one tech support get paid because we believe in pay banding for a position, not the person. And the other thing they get is if they stay with the program, we're giving them a two-year degree. They can get an AA or an AS, and we've partnered with our local college to get that to happen. And it can be in whatever they they want to be when they grow up, but we want to give them the opportunity to expand their life. Similarly, we had a bunch of people that applied for this program that were doing things like trucking all their life or cashier or something. And I went, we should have a project restart, which is people who have been stuck in careers that they don't love, but they've just been stuck there because they don't look like they can do anything else. And we're going to bring them in similarly and move them through the system to give them a different type of career path if they want. And that's going to be in our technical area, our customer success area or a sales area. And we're doing a project new start, which is for people coming out of the military or first responders, because the military, you know, uh, my daughter's a combat medic. She's very fortunate. She got her degree in healthcare um, in uh, bachelor's in science, but um, her husband, for instance, was an MP and he came out and he could go be a police officer or work in security. That's all they trained him to do. They have friends that work in artillery. They can, they can fire bombs and stuff like that, which is not a transferable skill generally, unless you're an action movie star to the real life. So it's a opportunity for them to again, come into the workforce because they have valuable skills. They have a lot of stuff that they can present. They show that they can get education and they can meet with work requirements, but they walk out and go, okay, what do I do next? And we feel that this is how you are able to increase diversity in your organization. Because if you're like, I'm okay, I'll hire a diverse college graduate. That's a, that unfortunately, and very sadly is not the biggest pool of diverse candidates that you're going to get. It's terrible that I can say that. I don't like having to say that, but it's true. So we need to open it up and companies need to go, how do I grow my talent and how do I grow my diverse talent to move up within the organization? Because you cannot effectively make a change in an organization unless you're willing to go, where does the problem begin? And we're also doing a lot of education initiatives in schools and partnering with schools so that um, uh, kids growing up know that there are alternative options to, um, you know, being a doctor, a lawyer, a nurse, or whatever you're taught in school. Like, hi, this is cybersecurity. This is a whole field. Here are the options. This is what you can do to get into that field. Here are the steps, kind of like we talked about with the career path. Give kids the steps so they know what to do. Because if you only go, well, you can go to college. Well, if they can't, you know, then they, okay, what's option B? Is there an option B for them? Right. Or go to college and not really quite know what to major in and maybe get a degree in something that when you get done, isn't really what you want to do, which you see that happen too. A lot. And a lot of people get degrees in things and then they're, they, that doesn't mean you're going to get hired. That's a double-edged sword is I I had a lot of people that worked for me in data entry that had business degrees and architect degrees and and stuff, because what do you do? Just because you have a business degree doesn't mean you know how to do business stuff. Unfortunately, it doesn't, 
doesn't necessarily translate. Some degrees are luckier, like medical, but they, a lot of them, like, but you go to business school, they don't have a practical application set like you do when you go to medical school. They make you go do the things they're teaching you. But business doesn't do that. They're like, here is the thing. You've learned the things. Now go fly, be a bird. And, you you know, there's a lot of falling out of the nest kind of situations that happen there. Definitely. So thanks for sharing that about that program, because it just sounds like such a great innovative way of kind of thinking about the hiring process from a different perspective and and taking a different approach to getting, you know, potentially some longstanding employees that couldn't grow within your organization based on just being given that opportunity. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So if you were going to give one piece of advice or piece of information that, that you want the listeners to be left with today what would that be? I think my main piece of advice I like to tell anybody is you need to take 10 steps back and actually look at every situation from a panoramic view, because if you're stuck in it and you can't really see out of it, you're never going to find the right solution to it. So you, and you need to encourage others to take steps back, really look at the situation and look at how you solve it, not on an immediate basis, but how you come up with a long-term scalable solution for the problem. And you have to be willing to put the effort in to make whatever that solution you come up with occur. And that's, that's part of being in HR. It's part of being a manager. It's part of being anything like the jumpstart program we talked about, for example, we had to dedicate resources to make that happen. Well, then you need to do that and be willing to do that and be willing to put the effort into the one side for the positivity on the other. But I think if you don't take steps back from a situation and look at what the best resolve will be and the best resolve for six months, a year, five years from now, you do yourself an injustice by doing, trying to do a quick solve to a situation or saying it absolutely has to be this way or else because very little in life has to be absolutely to a solid. Great advice. So you've shared a lot of great information. If our listeners wanted to connect with you further, what would be the best way that you would want them to connect with you? LinkedIn is a great way to connect with me. I respond to my things. Please link with me. I always say put a friend request, but that's not right. Different app, but (laughs) do link with me on LinkedIn. It's, you know, Erica Lance, E-R-I-K-A-L-A-N-C-E. And I'm at no before and you'll see that in my profile. So please feel free to connect with me. I love helping people. So if you have questions or need advice on anything or want to share something successful you guys have done out there, please do that because I think we all learn from each other. I didn't just think of all this stuff. A lot of it is stuff that uh, over years of seeing people do things has caused me to be able to go, oh, that's how you do that correctly. Oh, that's wonderful advice and exactly why we have you on the show today, because that's what Workplace MVP is all about, is showcasing Workplace MVPs like yourself and the great work that you do. And thank you so much for being a part of our show and letting us celebrate you and your successes that you've had, for sharing your stories and all of your great advice with our listeners. We really do appreciate you. And I'm sure your organization does as well, as well as your staff. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
And we also want to thank our show sponsor, R3 Continuum, for supporting the Workplace MVP podcast. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you have not already done so, make sure to subscribe so you get our most recent episodes and other resources. You can also follow our show on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Workplace MVP. If you are a Workplace MVP or know someone who is, we want to know. Email us at info at workplace-mvp.com. Thank you all for joining us and have a great rest of your day.